This is sort of like the cracker challenge. Yeah. Uh, it's like <laughs> it's like Squid Game if it were real. The cracker challenge is, is just going to Coachella. That's right. <laughs> Again, welcome back to another edition of the Late Late Capitalism Show. Before we get started, content warning: we're gonna swear. We're gonna talk about I'm imagining police brutality. Just given today's main subject, I'm gonna throw it over to my main man Dino. Folks, hello, it's Dean. Also with me is Chance. Hey, I'm Chance. Send it off to Megan. That's right. I am also here. We uh, can jump into our main topic uh, this week, folks, which is Fairy Creek. So Fairy Creek, we've mentioned it in passing, uh, but like it's a subject that we haven't really seriously tackled yet, mostly because uh, at least I wasn't sure that we'd be able to really do it justice. I still don't really know if that's the case, but nevertheless, uh, we're going to forge ahead here. Uh, and my, my co-host will definitely bring some more nuance uh, and some more, you know, how much we love nuance here on this we show. We do. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll try our best. Uh, please, please uh, don't yell at me. But as a, a brief overview, I'm sure many of our listeners are aware uh, Ferry Creek at this point is the largest act of civil disobedience in Canadian history. Over 1,100 protesters at this point have been arrested uh, since this began in August of 2020. As of this recording, that number no doubt will climb much higher in the months to come. So our country faces a, a litany of issues, which we've discussed on the show. Uh, rampant racism silencing of indigenous voices, the housing crisis, uh, income inequality, all sorts of stuff. And I believe at the nexus of all of these issues is environmental degradation and climate change. At the end of the day, all of these disparate things, all, all of these issues that people feel really, really strongly around, uh, about immigration, uh, I could go on forever. You can all trace them back to land and how it's used who profits from it, and who owns it. Uh, and this sort of defines everything that's going on in the 21st century, if you ask me. And nowhere is that more apparent than at Ferry Creek. So the headwaters of the Ferry Creek watershed are sort of the last unlogged old-growth forest uh, on Vancouver Island, at least the southern portion of it, the sort of developed portion. Over 75% of the, all of BC's old-growth forests have been completely logged at this point. Uh, only 8% of what remains is protected in parks and conservation areas. Uh, so just to give you some context of like the scale of how like special this one place is at this point. These uh, forests are really rare, really unique temperate rainforests. Not like the really hot tropical ones, but temperate ones, uh, you know, in 
weather conditions that we're used to. That is an extremely rare, rare phenomenon. And they, as such, they have a lot of very unique species. Not only that, these massive old growth trees are sort of the last bastion for the worst outcomes that climate change uh, has to offer, being that they suck up a lot of CO2 and pump out oxygen. You, you know how this works. Fourth grade science, folks. And just one more thing is that the scale of these trees is really hard to comprehend. Uh, some of them, specifically I'm talking about the ones at Ferry Creek, are these massive yellow cedars with a diameter of over nine feet, uh, which, like, this tree is just huge. Like, it looks like something from Endor. It's hard to wrap your mind around it being, like, a real living thing. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, mm -hmm. You feel like you're in a theme park looking at them. And uh, we saw, Megan and I saw some of these uh, while we were over there um, this summer, which we'll talk about later. I urge you to look up pictures of them, but know that these pictures like really can't do justice to actually standing in front of it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really something else. Fairy Creek began in the summer of 2020 when a number of uh, environmental activists noticed that there were logging roads being blasted into the Fairy Creek watershed up these slopes to this like pristine valley of ancient trees, trees that are estimated to be over 2000 years old. And uh, they were just looking at satellite images and they saw like, oh, like this, this little scar running up and then other scars branching out from them. And they're like, oh shit, they're starting to log there. Uh, so they decided to form a blockade. They just stood in a line uh, in front of the logging road and did not move until the logging trucks turned around and went back. This was under the NDP government at the time, which they still have, which had run on uh, promises of protecting old growth forests, naturally. Mm. Uh, didn't seem uh, like they gave much of a shit about that as time went on. Well, no, the uh, NDP is going to protect the forest from the protesters, you see, by cutting yeah, the trees true. down and moving that's them right. elsewhere. Got to get them. It's a dangerous situation. There's a lot. There's a lot of brigands and vagabonds in the area. That's right. So... A lot of talk uh, began to emerge, a lot of uh, criticism of these protesters for a number of reasons. Uh, one that we'll get into later, that's a pretty big one. But one I'll just dispel right away is I saw in my research a number of op-eds or people on Twitter or whatever saying like, literally like some of the most brain dead uh attacks at these protesters my favorite one being well why don't they just buy the land to stop it from being locked <laughs> oh my god that's awesome that's a yeah. good point yeah a like any environmental ngo or like random citizen has the money to buy that amount of land b it's crown land you can't buy it yeah mm. yeah uh, the government can just give the logging rights to whoever want they whoever wants them. Yeah, uh, like you're most, not gonna, you're, most of the you're time, the lowest it. bidder. You're not going to find it on some real estate website, like being <laughs> yeah. like plot of land for sale. Yeah. Uh, oh, on Remax, I can buy this ancient rainforest. Right? <laughs> and also, uh, it's like you know, it's crown land, and it's but it's also like indigenous land, and there's a number of like nations that have lived on it and live right nearby currently. So. Like that, exactly. even as a suggestion, is just ridiculous. But yeah. Yeah. So then they turn around and they're like, okay, well, then why don't you just buy the logging rights to it? But the way logging rights 
Wright's work in BC uh, and in pretty much every other place, as far as I am aware, uh, is that you need to actually go log X number of trees from that site in order to retain your rights to it. So you can't just buy the logging rights and then leave it there to protect it because uh, the government will just take your money, take it away, and then sell it to somebody who wow. actually logs. And I the, didn't know these, that. Yeah, and the minimum amount that they require you to log is more than the forest can sustainably grow back. Oh my god. Awesome. Thank you, government. Yeah. They're here to protect us. Mm-hmm. What do trees do anyways? Yeah, they make oxygen. So what? You can also get oxygen in a tank nowadays, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can make it in a lab. Yeah, we've clearly yeah, been able idiot. to make it before, so it's like, this is good. This is dope. This is development. Yeah. So, these protesters, in August of 2020... Uh, go and they begin their blockade, which uh, we see uh, has grown dramatically uh, over the last uh, year and a half almost. Uh, and uh, they did this without the blessing of the Pachadat First Nation, uh, whose territory includes the Fairy Creek watershed. So the Pachadat First Nation uh, has their elective leader, their elected leadership, which uh, sort of remained mum on the subject of the, the protests and the blockade for a while, uh, and then eventually uh, outright uh, said that they did not support this and they wanted the people out of there. They were cite citing their right to manage the territorial resources uh, and uh, this research stewardship plan that they signed with the BC government in uh, 2017. Uh, so this was a forest revenue agreement that they made. So in return uh, for sharing, uh, for receiving a share, sorry, of the three-year uh, profits uh, over the term, uh, they are required to not support or participate in any acts that interfere with provincially authorized forest activities. Uh, wow, so, that's, that's very specific. Yeah, yeah, no, funny, funny how the, that got worded into that agreement. So... I obviously cannot speak for the Pachadat First Nation, their leadership, what have you. Uh, what I'm saying is I'm sure there are members who do agree with what these protesters are doing, but cannot say anything. Well, uh, also, the protesters are there um, by the invitation of Bill Jones, I think his name is. Yes, that, um, that was my next point. Oh, okay. Uh, is that... Well, they started this without, uh, they had asked uh, the Pachadat First Nation for uh, their blessing to do this uh, and did not get a response before they started because they're like, we need to act now. This is happening immediately. We need to stop it. And then about a week or so after they started, uh, Bill Jones, uh, who is a Pachadat elder, uh, part of a descendant from the family line that is the hereditary decision makers uh, for the Pachadat, uh, not the elected uh, leaders uh, that are officially recognized by the BC government. He uh, joined them uh, and uh, went to the site with them uh, and helped guide and shape the protest to what it has become now. That being said, uh, I wanted to address, and I wanted you guys to weigh in on what you think of a lot of the criticism that has been uh, hurled at the Ferry Creek blockade uh, by both uh, the mainstream media and by a lot of uh, people uh, on the left 
for not uh, going with the wishes of the the Pachadat First Nation and for making decisions without uh, indigenous voices or just by uh, having leadership by non-indigenous people uh, in this movement. And uh, what, what do we do with that? With like people from the left, ostensibly people who agree with this environmental cause saying that this blockade shouldn't happen. Um, so what I will say, I've been following them on Instagram for like some time now. Um, I, I think too, it wasn't just Bill Jones, like saying, oh, you guys are already there. That's cool. I'm going to come help. He had been writing letters, uh, I think to the BC government, um, for a number of years before this even happened about protecting the watershed. So like he's been very involved in that process the entire time. Um, and a lot of the, the way they talk about it now is that they're like following in his footsteps and guidance. So like, it, it's not that he just recently like started caring about this issue. No, no, no. Yeah, no, sorry. No, I, I specifically meant, yeah, yeah, like he, he joined very quickly after it started. Yeah. But in, he had also been like, like caring about that area and those trees like for a while before they even mm. started. So yeah, definitely like there it. There is like indigenous involvement, like a lot of indigenous involvement, I would think. Um, at this point, there are like people from a number of nations like across Canada that are a big part of it. Um, and like nations from Vancouver Island as well. There's lots of like young people that are from nations around Vancouver Island that are very involved, like on the social media uh, and when you're there as well. Um, what I will say, like a valid there, there are like obviously valid criticisms of, of everything. Um, I, I, I want to like stay away from saying that it's like, you know, like leftist infighting, which like you can, I, I guess you can claim some somewhat, but a big um, criticism of like the Fairy Creek social media was that there was a while where it was like being run by just like this white um, documentary filmmaking team um, of like American teenagers um, and they like no indigenous person had access to any of the social media accounts at all. Um, and was like requesting access to the accounts and was being denied. Cause like the documentary filmmaking team was basically saying like, they didn't want them to like ruin the like image they had on social media, which I think is <laughs> pretty ridiculous. Um, and so when people from the like nearby nation started like getting upset about that people were like oh no leftist infighting again and the people were saying like i am not a leftist like i don't give a fuck about any of your political beliefs like i am indigenous and this is like what i care about and like um so i i think there are obviously like it, it's interesting too being like there there are a lot of like indigenous people involved in there but and a lot of the decision making is like non-hierarchical but there are a lot of like white like young people decision makers there as well um so i don't know like you know how you how you grapple with that when it's like obviously indigenous land and like indigenous people know better how to protect it and take care of it but um you also like need a ton of people there all the time uh in order to fight off the rcmp who are like beating people to death so like it's it's really interesting i don't know what do you guys think i think um what you were saying about political alignment is interesting because I was listening to shout outs to from members, uh, the lovely folks over there. 
um, they were interviewing like a fellow anarchist who was at Ferry Creek. And they were explaining that uh, at Ferry Creek, it was really interesting people's political alignments mm. uh, because you would get like, you know, a lot of young indigenous folks, uh, some older indigenous folks. You would get a lot of like hippie yuppie types. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, my God. That were like hardcore libs, like rad libs. Um, you would get even like people that were like back the blue and I don't understand what else is going on in the world. I just care about these trees. Um, mm. So I think it isn't as much of a united front as it comes across, or maybe it's more of a united front than it comes across because it's like a single issue problem mm -hmm. uh, in comparison to a lot of other uh, like indigenous focused protests uh, that kind of have a, like a unified ideology. Uh, I think this one is more so just like, like I said, a single issue thing that kind of has brought a lot of people together. Yeah. Uh, and having like an indigenous person backing that up is definitely important. Uh, but I think most people are just focused on the fact that they want the trees to not disappear. Mm -hmm. Chance, I'm glad you said that because, uh, Megan and I this summer also went at, and uh, joined the Fairy Creek uh, blockade. We weren't there for very long, uh, but I definitely learned a lot uh, and thought it was uh, really, really uh, formative uh, and interesting. And that was one thing that I took away, too, is that I'd speak to people uh, and just like idle chit chat and they'd uh, bring up like, oh, like. All, of course, all lives matter, like police lives matter, all lives matter. <laughs> uh -oh. uh, and they'd say like, oh, like overpopulation is like a really big problem. And like, we have to address that. Mm. Uh, right. And these like you see like, you know, uh, leftoids on Twitter uh, just spending hours and hours a day. This is an old uh, hat argument that I'm putting forth to still. Uh, but, you know, if you're <laughs> for an actual like uh, movement that is uh out there in the real world uh trying to accomplish a specific goal uh you're gonna get all kinds uh mm -hmm. and yeah. if, if you're if the one thing that you care about is ideological purity you will never accomplish anything yeah it's uh it's really interesting right and i think that it kind of helps that it wasn't an indigenous forward movement if that makes any sense only for the marketing and the optics of the blockade um, because a lot of people are terrified of what we do when we start getting mad about shit <laughs> so like it's more inviting to know that it's kind of just like a group of people who care about one thing rather than um the idea that you have to have uh you know like you said ideological purity in order to participate um it it casts a wider net that way and and gains more support uh obviously we could argue about the merits of that um but i think it's it's really fascinating what has happened out there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i don't i i this is sort of like a i i feel like the the issue of like how much they're paying attention to like indigenous leadership and listening to indigenous people is sort of like a different topic than like the like ideological like leftism of the people there which i think both are really interesting but in terms of like the indigenous like leadership i there are like a lot of elders there and like they put on a lot of workshops and like definitely 
you know, talk about how like the entire thing is like based on like indigenous values and like hopefully like indigenous led to like as much as possible. But I, I don't know. I've been seeing like a lot of criticism of it online. Like the, the person that runs the Wet'suwet'en um, Instagram account is not a fan, um, which I think there's valid reasons to, to not be a fan. But um, I'm trying to like still understand what they see, like what the people who are critical of the movement like think is like the major problem with it and and like how we can have a movement that's like has a lot of white people there and still have it be like a non-colonial thing like a, a lot of the response is that it's become like a colonized space which is probably it's like totally fair it probably has been um but what would be like uh, and this is like a genuine question i'm like what would remedy it like what would make it like a non-colonial space again other the, than like the, doing your best to listen specifically what what would remedy that while also achieving the goals that they're aiming to achieve well the the fear of white saviorism uh mm-hmm. i think comes for every indigenous person who is trying to do anything really especially politically um so it's always like uh, an air of skepticism when there is mass support from white folks um but at the same time, I think one of the biggest differences between something like Wet'suwet'en and Fairy Creek is um, I think it is less of a single issue, right? Uh, mm. Like we were saying, like it, uh, Wet'suwet'en is not a, just about a pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about way more than that. You know, it's about it's about treaty rights. It's about indigenous sovereignty. It's about decolonizing indigenous owned areas it's about so much more than just one thing mm-hmm. uh whereas fairy creek is definitely about one thing mm-hmm. um and, and again it's not saying one is better than the other or anything like that but it would make sense that someone who is focused on a movement about you know land back being an all-encompassing thing uh, would be skeptical of something that is more so a single issue problem or seen as a single issue that is maybe bringing more people in. Uh, but again, it's only tackling one slice of the, you know, the discrimination uh, or exploitation of like our environment and as well as indigenous people. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I feel like like indigenous like land defenders are seem to be like a lot more effective <laughs> so i feel like there's a lot yeah. of learning that you know like white people who are trying to defend trees can do to listen and hopefully <laughs> yeah, they are. yeah yeah but it's also wild that like like obviously like industry for both like wetsoatin and fairy creek like the industry still gets let in once in a while because like this, there's only like so much you can do and push against like with non-violence but like wetsoatin seems to have done it with like so many fewer arrests like don't get me wrong lots of people got arrested and like were brutalized and everything but i'm just like damn like every time there's like an indigenous land defense like they're just like so good at it like fairy creek it's been like 1100 people arrested already like it's crazy (laughs) oh my god and and i sent you the video of uh my boys 
the Haudenosaunee. Yeah, that was uh, insane. Specifically, the Gunyigeha out of Six Nations showing up. Skylar Williams represent uh, showing up at Wet'suwet'en. And the police walking away from them. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is awesome. Yeah, that ruled. And he called him a fucking Gwesquess. That was sick. I was like, damn, that, that means pig in Ganyigehaga. Mm. And, uh, yeah, they, the fucking, the cops walked away. And when I first read, like, the, it was kind of, like, I thought it was clickbait. It was like, cops leave when the haudenosaunee show up and i was like yeah they were probably leaving anyway or whatever and then i watched the video and i was like no they literally just like saw them and dipped like mm, yeah <laughs> it was so good yeah and yeah, yeah like, no, it's crazy that that can happen on one end right and then on the other end of bc you have like all these white people going to jail constantly. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is like also like obviously indigenous people are a lot more likely to be like brutalized by the police. And that's like true at Fairy Creek too. Like people of color were a lot more targeted. And then also like the social media response is so strange. Like there's so many people from other countries like commenting on the Fairy Creek photos being like, you are all beautiful angel heroes. And I'm like, yeah, probably <laughs> yeah. other land defense <laughs> accounts don't get the exact same like adoring no, comments. Because it's like, <laughs> Europeans say that about any picture of anyone ever. They're all rolling. <laughs> yeah. True. yeah, that's what I get on my Insta account. No, I think I think the difference is, too, is um, like we were saying before, the optics. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the optics of an indigenous land defense is fucking terrifying. Um, and well, no, nobody it's, goes. It, it's every government's worst fear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's nothing about it that would make people anywhere other than people who are doing the same thing or like minded. Uh, but nobody would just stumble across an image and be like, oh, wow, yeah, that, that car with all the fucking huge log spikes sticking out of it and all the flags everywhere that says, like, all these things, you know, and all these dudes wearing camo and shit. Nobody looks at that and goes, oh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful image of beautiful little angels. Mm. Because people know it's militant, and yeah. that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, I, maybe that's part of it, too, is that, like, in, like, normal, like, land defense, like, events, like, in amongst, like, indigenous people, like, they're not as, like, afraid of being arrested because, like, or afraid of, like, going back to the land after they've been arrested, whereas at Fairy Creek, like, I think they're also just cycling through so many people because, like, as soon as you get arrested once, like, no one really comes back because if you get arrested a second time, it's, like, bumped up to a criminal charge whereas like the first right. time is a um a civil charge and also mm -hmm. like it's so many people traveling to be there and then traveling home after so it's just like never the same group whereas like a normal land defense it's like you're in it for the long haul yeah and, yeah. and with land defense too you get every single time it happens there's always news stories that come out that are like they try to show the reality of it, but what it does is it gives people fodder to think that, you know, these people are terrifying or they're radicalized because there's always stories being like, I was talking to my son or my daughter and they're going to this like land defense blockade. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, uh, whatever happens, uh, if it goes well, that's great. And I'll come back home. If it doesn't go well, I'm going to be there until I die. So, 
uh, uh, this might be my last goodbye, so I'll I'll see you later. Wow. And yep. and then and then people are immediately like, oh my god, they're radicalized. And, and when the reality is, it's like, it's your livelihood is genuinely on the line it's not mm-hmm. just something that you care about you feel like it's an attack on your person and your peoples mm-hmm. and so so many more people are literally willing to put their lives on the line for it and mm-hmm. not only that i think that informs a, a big difference in the language used by indigenous land defenders versus uh white protesters uh for any number of things because white protesters are coming at it from uh, sort of like in the a culture that they've been enmeshed in since they were children, which is like a sort of PR uh, standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Like where, where sure. they're like very focused on uh, creating a sort of very, very happy, approachable image where if you're defending your land that like has been like your people's land for m- millennia, you're mm-hmm. like the last thing on your mind is oh i want to make sure that i'm bright and sunny for the camera you know right mm-hmm. yeah, like they, yeah they're, they're just they're approaching it from a completely different mindsets uh and that informs the language that they use and the sort of attitude that's adopted mm-hmm. because we're, we're taught too from like a super young age the importance of land right and, and not from an amassing point like i don't know i feel like white culture is a lot about like there's a lot a lot of weight is put into the idea of private property and and land ownership. But like the way that I grew up and the people that grew up around me uh, were just taught about, you know, the the fact that you are the land and the land is you and therefore you must respect it as you would respect yourself. So when you're going out to land defend, you're essentially defending your life. And your livelihood, uh, which is something that you can't really just teach somebody to do. Like, you can't just convince somebody to put their Mm. life on the line for something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It has to be something inherent in them, or or at least it has to be something that is, like, ingrained in their philosophy. And I think that might be a huge difference as to why someone might care less about the optics on one end, Mm -hmm. or the involvement of even other people. Like... You know, you reach out for help, but it's different from saying like, you know, hey, we got all these places that you can just roll up to and and bring all these things and whatnot, like advertising yourself as a place for everybody, because it's it's not necessarily a place for everybody, because everyone that's currently there is literally willing to die. Mm. Um, And that is an impossible thing to find other like minded people like that. Unless they are in your immediate surroundings or you have experienced similar things. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know when yeah. I when we went, like, I really did not want to get arrested. I was very scared the whole time. And also it was like the first time I'd ever been to that area, like was for this thing. Um, so I obviously had like no connection to it. And I just was there because like I really care about the climate. And like that is sort of like cutting down rainforest is an extreme like last stand for the environment like recovering it all and also like Mm -hmm. it's very unjust what is happening to the people that that are there but yeah definitely not the same as like oh this is like you know like something i care about with like my whole soul like i wanted to care a lot but the whole time i was like ah but you know (laughs) we didn't get arrested so that's good yeah right right 
getting back to uh, Fairy Creek, I have some more stuff uh, to talk about, but do jump in uh, whenever. So we've we've got this protest. Uh, we have this blockade. It's growing pretty rapidly. Uh, there are numerous different camps set up. Uh, there's, uh, as we've discussed, a whole PR department uh, and Instagram account and what have you. Uh, and then in February of 2021, Teal Cedar Products, which is the company that is trying to log Ferry Creek, files an injunction with the BC court uh, against the protesters that is granted in April. Uh, so this made it illegal to be there at all. Basically, mm-hmm. if you're participating in the blockade, if you are like on a lumber road, if you have chained yourself to a tree, uh, you uh, will be arrested again for this civil disobedience uh, and then criminal if you're arrested again. This didn't stop the protests. Uh, they did lose a couple of the camps, but the protests continued to grow again, as Megan said, with people cycling in and out, people coming just for the day to help dig a latrine or bring groceries or what have you, run food up to the people chained to trees. And then in September, we got some very good news uh, when BC Justice Douglas Thompson declined to extend this injunction any farther, uh, stating uh, that he was concerned with the RCMP's infringements on civil civil liberties and journalistic freedom. That uh, sound saying like that it, Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, he's like, oh, you're giving the court a bad name. Uh, even though that this will promote lawlessness, uh, I uh, am not uh, extending this injunction anymore. Uh, and then he went on to say that uh, RCMP are generally really nice guys, uh, but he heard like one or two concerning stories. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Did you, do you guys have any stories handy? I have like one anecdotal one that we heard, uh, but I really I didn't have uh, it in me uh, to really look up some of the horrific brutality uh, that's been going on. If you uh, want to tell your story, I can come back with one. Yeah, uh, I know specifically while we were uh, at the camp, we um, uh, met a lot of people and one guy in particular uh, who we hung out with for the day. And then we found out five days later that he uh, went back up uh, to uh, chain himself to a tree at one of the camps uh, and a logger who was on site. Like, again, this is a 20 something year old dude chained to a tree, big 30, 40 something uh, logger just beating the shit out of a guy who has his arms tied uh beating him to a pulp to the point where he was hospitalized in front of the cops who did nothing to stop it Mm. of course of course yeah Yeah, Um, really sad it was weird too like watching the social media of the brutality and then going there and like meeting people and then literally like four days later seeing them be hospitalized like on instagram live was like what the fuck um yeah but yeah, yeah, a lot of the really bad violence too has been like loggers. Like loggers are fucking insane. Sorry, like I honestly am generalizing. They're they're crazy. Um and extremely Yeah, if violent. you are a logger <laughs> or you know one, go fuck yourself, please. <laughs> um but especially the ones there, like I I can't imagine having so much like rage against like people that are doing the right thing like it i don't don't know yeah like i know more on you are and like Like, yeah like i know like you know money for the day or whatever but they get paid something like 70 percent of their salary if they don't log i don't know something like that and like 
damn, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're beating the shit out of 20 year olds who are tied to something yeah. like. Fuck, I'd take 70 percent of my paycheck to sit around and play cards. Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. So uh, the British Columbia Civil Liberties Association, which is an RCMP watchdog in uh, British Columbia, said that there was at least 70 complaints about uh, or they've compiled or created or put forward not sure how watchdogs work 70 complaints about the fairy creek law enforcement uh and one of the the biggest issues that has come out of it is one 35 year old protester was flown by helicopter to hospital in victoria on saturday and this was in august uh with neck injuries as after a forceful arrest while others have suffered a sprained ankle a broken rib or cuts and bruises during arrests Mm-hmm. Yeah, they... Yeah. So they sent a dude to the hospital. He had to be flown into a hospital because they, like, of neck injuries because of how they were handling him during his arrest. Jesus. Yeah, they have to, like, cut a lot of people down from things, and they'll use, like, excavators and, like, whatever that thing is that drills really aggressively. I don't know tools. Um, But they'll use it, like, right beside someone's head or, like, within three inches of their, like, leg or wrists or something. Like, it's insane. They have, like, almost killed so many people. Yeah, so the RCMP spokesperson, Sergeant Chris Monso, came out and said, uh, we really need to remember that it's actions of the protesters that dictate the actions of the police. Oh. That's right. Um, the, action, the action of standing still chained to a tree. When crowds are failing to follow police direction, one thing leads to another. Yeah, that's, that's so fucked that up. Sounds about right. Remember the guy in Buffalo last year who was not following police directions by standing still, so they pushed him into the ground and he cracked his skull open? Yeah, yeah. And it was a fucking old man. Yeah, well, he wasn't following directions. And these protesters, when they chain themselves to trees, they are an immediate threat to the cops. Yes, their arms are bound. Yes, they are 20 years old and weigh 45 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what? At the end of the day... That's like the size of a decently sized dog, and cops kill dogs all the time. <laughs> That's right. So you need to recognize their trauma and the necessity of using the hammer of dawn on a 19-year-old Instagram hippie. That's simply all there is to say about it. Yeah. The worst part is that the reason that this injunction was denied uh, primarily wasn't uh, the police brutality, but the fact that RCMP were not letting journalists in, which... I get, like, technically is a bad thing. Uh, but, um, yeah, just insane. Yeah, they, um, it honestly was, like, obviously police brutality is worse, but the, they were just, like, blatantly breaking the law with the journalist thing every day. I was like, what oh, yeah. is the point of this? Like, like uh, if you were the cops and it was, like, you, you, your one, like, thing you want, which is the injunction, is going to be jeopardized by the fact that you're not letting a dude with a camera from Twitter. Like, these are not even, like, CBC journalists. Oh, yeah. No, like, CBC journalists don't give a shit about this. forward to, like, film something, and that's, like, the hill they're dying on. But it was. Like, they would not let any journalists anywhere near any extraction sites, like, anywhere like where protesters were they made them stand in like little cordoned off areas where they couldn't see anything it was like in the middle of the woods and the journalists were like this is against the law and the cops were like wait, wait, this is against the law and then the judge was yeah. like oh damn no yeah that was against the law <laughs> they even <laughs> so they even do dumb. the same thing close to home like they did that with the uh the shutdown canada blockade at the 
the railroad in Tyndanaga. Mm -hmm. Like the police set up like a van blockade to make it so journalists couldn't get in because they told the journalists they had to stay like 300 meters away or some shit. And then they set up their van so that they couldn't get any like video footage of what was actually happening. Um, The police are very, very good at that. At just oh, yeah. being like, yeah, fuck this one. We're we're just gonna break the law right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're just gonna wild out on this guy. But uh, yeah, the good news uh, though is uh, for at least uh, our our friends over at Teal uh, Logging is that the injunction uh, was just put back on uh, a few days ago uh, by a another uh, BC whatchamacallit, judge. Yeah, it was like uh, a Supreme Court of BC. Over- no, it was the, the Court of Appeals because they appealed the ruling. No, but uh, they haven't gotten to appeal it yet. It was something like, um, or maybe it was the Court of Appeal, but they, they basically asked for um, the injunction to just be extended while they appeal the decision to yes. lift it. So yeah. if they fail this appeal, it'll have to go away again. But the fact that they were granted one, like that, <laughs> the judge yeah, is like, com- I wish judges just had to well, like, Listen the, to the, the judge from the the uh, court of appeals uh s- like was really concerned uh citing uh that teal's profits uh oh, were no. at stake teal's here. profits that's so yeah. now, slimy speaking of slimy i'm gonna find uh i'm gonna quote verbatim from a cbc article specifically about uh the injunction uh needing to be reinstated this is one of the biggest pieces of shit I've ever seen in a long time. That's saying something. Uh, so this is the lawyer for Teal. His name is Dean Dalk. Uh, oh, no relation. He's already off to a bad start. No relation. And uh, here we go. This is from CBC. Uh Lawyer Dean Dulk said that the company needs urgent access to the area so workers can winterize the roads and prevent washouts. Uh, harvest 1.2, uh, 1.27 million worth of felled timber before it deteriorates into the bush and harvest additional timber to keep it, its mills running and avoid job losses before it's too late. Uh, Dean says that oh blockades have proliferated uh, since the RCMP left the area at the end of September. Also, the RCMP have not left uh, after the injunction. They are still there. Uh, they're just not arresting you on site. They just wait until you do something, quote unquote, criminal, and then they arrest you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a quote from Dulk. Uh, the police have made incredible progress towards the end of the injunction and dismantling the blockades. Uh, and much of that work has now been put back, uh, put back to zero in some cases. Dulk said police would return to the area and restart enforcement if the interim injunction were granted, quote, uh, which is really the only hope for Teal Cedar to avoid irreparable harm pending the appeal. Avoid (laughs) irreparable harm to the logging company. Uh, It makes it makes it makes you want to scream. Simply. uh, Well, yeah, trees can grow back, but logging companies, once they're done, they're done forever. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to hurt the policeman's heart. Yeah, no, uh, it's, yeah, yeah. Nonviolent protest is the way to go, folks. I cannot stress enough how important <laughs> nonviolent protest is. This is where it gets you. Anything else that we want to say? Uh, I have some more stuff here, uh, but anything pressing about specifically Fairy Creek that we want to get into? 
Uh, in terms of like social media, I believe that like in indigenous people do have access to the account now. So the account hopefully has a bit more of a like balanced perspective, but um, I would definitely recommend following it, reading the posts. I would also like the critiques of it are definitely valid. And those are all on like the What's Who and pages and other pages like that. And also they recently posted that William Shatner stands with them. So go William Shatner. He's going to space. He's in space. No, he came back from space. Oh, oh. cool. Yeah. <laughs> we all had three different phases of William Shatner <laughs> in space. Yeah, yeah, we're God. learning about tenses here, folks. Uh, <laughs> so I recently learned about uh, the war in the woods, uh, which is an extremely, like, it's deja vu. This is almost an identical case. Uh, so listen to this. In 1993, there was a series of protests on... Cleoquit Sound, uh, also on Vancouver Island, that's around Tofino, uh, which was uh, aiming to stop the clear-cutting of old-growth forest, uh, particularly on Mears Island. 856 people were arrested for peacefully protesting the logging, uh, including members of local First Nations groups. Uh, this was also under an NDP government that had also campaigned on protecting old-growth forests. No. Yeah. This one got wild, though. Uh, one, the, the anecdote that I thought was interesting is that there was a band of Tofino citizens that were really fed up with this blockade. Uh, they were concerned that it was hurting their economy and that they were losing jobs. Uh, so they formed this coalition uh, and uh, their primary uh, uh, action that they accomplished was emptying emptying 200 liters of human shit at the protesters information site where the journalists met oh my, oh god. my god yeah what? extreme extremely cool uh really shows how how much of a, a serious political entity you are man white people be crazy oh my yeah. god wow we were also on that island it's beautiful <laughs> yeah no it's really really gorgeous yeah, it's, again, nothing new under the sun. This exact same thing has happened 20 years ago. It's happening again. And uh, I guess all we can say is thank God that it is happening and that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people are, are standing up and stopping these absolute cretins. Uh, yeah. Yeah, props the to the people that have been there a long time. There were people that stayed throughout the winter by themselves yeah. in trees in the woods. So. Damn. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine that level of commitment. That's yeah. really, really inspiring. Mm -hmm. But uh, the last thing that I have to say about this is that this this issue, as Chance, you mentioned, uh, is while I, I posit that environmental issues sort of connect to all of the more nuanced, more uh, quote unquote political issues uh, that we face. It is pretty singular, singular and pretty easy to wrap your head around, right? Like, mm. it's, it's almost a, a cliche. It's a children's cartoon of here's an evil company that wants to cut down and destroy something rare and beautiful uh, and otherworldly for profit. And here are the people who want to protect it. It's, mm -hmm. it, it's as black and white an issue as you can imagine. Mm. Uh, and I think that a big problem with the reason why uh, you're not really seeing much of this uh, in mainstream media. You get like a few CBC articles uh, every month or so. Uh, that's it. 
you're not really seeing it on like any news uh like cable show mm-hmm. uh, and uh, even we haven't talked about it nearly as much as we should have uh, mm-hmm. and i think the reason for that is that it is so simple uh and it seems so so brain dead uh of a of an issue that it's almost hard to talk about and hard to care about uh hear me out uh, and forgive me for mentioning uh, invoking the name of the Dark One, uh, but David Foster Wallace uh, oh, no. <laughs> talked a lot about uh, this specific phenomenon, which is the, the sort of power of cliches that like the most important things to understand uh, and the most important things to care about and work for uh, and put your life towards are really simple, really basic truths that by the nature of being so simple are, are really hard for uh, your mature brain to consider seriously. Right. So like, mm-hmm. right. You kind of think it, it'll sort itself out because yeah, of the like, simplicity. Exactly. Of it. Like you're, you can't imagine it being an issue. Uh, and not only that, like it's just, it's almost like too, it's so simple that it's boring to think about. Uh, mm-hmm. So like your brain just sort of pushes it aside. Like you can see this cynically in like, you know how liberals are classically uh, insisting that X, Y, Z issue is actually really nuanced or complex. Uh, and they do this to sort of obfuscate their complicity with something horrible that's going on mm-hmm. or their just complete indifference to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, of course, a factor. But I think this goes beyond the cynical politics and towards like like a really a like deep down facet of the human condition uh or at least the white western condition uh of uh just not being able to fully embrace these issues like if it if it's a question that could be summed up in like one episode of captain planet uh it just sort of slides off your brain and you don't think about it and you put it aside uh and that's i don't know how to address that phenomenon i think it's really real it's at least real for me uh and that's that's one of the main things that i'm taking away from this is that you really have to force yourself to to consider this and work towards it and please donate your money donate your time if you can uh all of our many bc listeners uh, i highly recommend you do that uh, mm. but yeah does anyone else have closing thoughts no, yeah, if you're in BC, go, man. Oh, my gosh. Um, it is definitely worth it, I think, even for yeah. a short amount of time or even to oh, bring yeah. stuff um, up. So, yeah, and follow social media. And also, they always post some, like, they do, like, call blasts of, like, Horgan's office, and they, they have, like, uh, donation fundraisers going for supplies and everything like that. So lots of tools online, but... Yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah, and we'll, we'll include some links. Yeah, it's really fucked yeah, up. Yeah, we can do that for sure. Um, the other thing is, is I think like Dean said, is just because it's simple doesn't mean it shouldn't be seen as important. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that we kind of have to relearn as uh, community members to kind of point out to other people that, um, you know, just because it's a, a simple atrocity doesn't mean it's not something that should be thought about and put effort towards Mm -hmm. yeah like all like real politics is not 4d chess it's pretty basic yeah it's a lot of dumb guys doing shit 
Yeah. Jen. And they like, seem to be people. the people who get stuff done. Yeah. <laughs> like, if we can figure it out, like, I think most other people can figure it out. Agreed. Well, thanks for chatting, everybody. Yeah, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, please uh, yell at me for everything that I got wrong in this episode. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, my and salary numbers of loggers are definitely off, but... Have a good night. Megan, want to hit him with a goodbye? Bye-bye.